Welcome to the Brilliant Business Moms Podcast, episode 135, with Sarah Kornack and Beth Ann Schwamberger. Today on the show, we're talking with Jolene Orton of the dessert blog Flavors and Frosting. Jolene talks with us about some of the quirks of being a food blogger, and she also talks with us about photography of food and how she learned to be a better food photographer and take her blog to the next level. It was wonderful talking with Jolene. So let's get started. You're listening to the Brilliant Business Moms podcast, practical business advice for startup moms. So today on the podcast, we are pleased to welcome Jolene Orton. She's a dessert food blogger at flavorsandfrosting.com. Jolene makes the most amazing desserts and she takes incredible pictures of those desserts. So we're going to talk with her about the world of food blogging and photography. Jolene lives in Spain with her husband and two kids. Welcome to the show, Jolene. Thank you very much. And now I feel bad, Jolene, because it's actually the Canary Islands, right? No, no but the Canary Islands is in Spain. Yes, so it's part of Spain. <laughs> so Jolene, could you begin by telling us a little bit more about yourself, your family, and your blog, Flavors and Frosting? Okay, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I, I'm really, I was super excited when this and asked me, so I'm really happy to be here. My family, I'm originally from South Africa, but I've been living in Gran Canaria, which is part of the Canary Islands, which belongs to Spain for about seven years now. Um, my husband is from here, he's Canarian. And we have two children, Tegan, my daughter, who's 17, the last year of high school, and my son, Luca, who's five years old. And recently, we added to our family, and we got a new puppy called Chase, which Luca named after the Paw Patrol character. Aww, <laughs> we love Paw Patrol over here, too. <laughs> oh, he loves it. And so Chase has been more work than we expected. It's <laughs> like having a baby in the house, but he's lovely, and we just he just recuperated from flu. I never oh. knew that a dog could have flu, but yes. He had flu and we needed to give him uh, nose drops and antibiotics, but he's getting much better now. And then, yes, I live the expat life, but my life is a little bit different in, in terms of that I'm not going to move back to my country, so I'm living here permanently in Spain. Needed to learn a foreign language, which is Spanish. That has been hard, but I would say the last two years, things in that way is a little bit better for me. I can communicate really well. I can understand well. I can even understand a movie when I go to a theater in Spanish. So that's that's huge for me. And in our house, we speak three languages, so I can get crazy at times. And there are days when I find myself being tired that I use all three languages in one sentence because I just can't think of the other words. So, yeah, that's, that's our life. And then in terms of my business, I started about four years ago an idea why I started a blog were just to showcase my baked goods because I was selling cupcakes and from there on I sold customized birthday and wedding cakes. And then I started hosting cupcake decoration workshops. Then I started organizing themed dessert table parties. So the business grew and grew and I wanted a place where I could write about what I was doing and to showcase my products. And the blog actually started out in English and Spanish. Oh, wow. So Jolene... I love that. That's such an interesting story that you were actually selling baked goods and then transitioned into a blog. Are you still doing all of those different facets of your business or have you just transitioned into more of the online space? 
that happened about a year ago. So initially that was the idea and I didn't even know that the online space could be a, I didn't know that blogging could be a job or a business. So about a year ago when I transitioned from Blogger to WordPress, this is when I started learning about the online world and what you can do and the opportunities out there. And slowly but surely I left that side of the business. And I would say about six months ago, I stopped that side completely because it just got too crazy trying to do both things. But yes, yeah, initially that was the idea. Do you have training, Jolene, as, as a pastry chef, or was this just a hobby of yours that you love to bake desserts and you just got really good at it just from teaching yourself on your own? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a hobby. I used to love baking as a child. I remember baking with my grandmother, and throughout the years I loved, I was always the one that took the dessert to a party. And then when, about four years ago, I taught English as a, second language to the children here in Spain in the schools and that contract ended and then I needed to do something. My son was very small at that moment, at that stage and I thought, okay, I need to, you know, bring in some money. And so I started with cupcakes because I love cupcakes and I love baking. And as time progressed, I just learned uh, more techniques and more skills and then it became a huge passion. So Jolene, I know in the past six months, you've really transitioned into just your online business with your food blog. Do you mind sharing maybe the breakdown of that income? Like, are you making income through sponsored posts or affiliates or products? I'd love to kind of hear how that works as a food blogger. For me, for because my situation is different because I live in Spain, I've had many opportunities to do sponsored posts, but every time I need to turn it down because of the fact that they want me to buy the product, the actual physical product in store itself. And so it's impossible for me to do that. So in terms of sponsored posts, I haven't had any luck in that way because of that. And many times at, in the beginning, it was really frustrating for me. So what I needed to do is look at other avenues of making money. If I wasn't going to bake goods, what could I do? So basically, I started investigating in affiliate marketing, and that helped me to just cover the cost of my my expenses and then from there on I decided the end of last year that I needed to do something more and use the skills that I learned in food blogging to help other food bloggers out there to grow their, their platforms in terms of Pinterest and Twitter etc. So I've been I've been doing that for the last couple of months and in the last month I've actually taken on permanent clients. So at the moment I've got four permanent clients that I work for and that that is basically paying my salary. Interesting. So you've taken your skill as a food blogger, and your your food blog is absolutely gorgeous, which is why we're going to get into the photography in a minute. So anybody listening, you have to go to Flavors and Frosting just to drool over her wonderful photography. But you've taken your your skill and knowledge as a food blogger and turned that into a little business also teaching others the the food blogging side of things, the the social media and business side of things. That's right. Everything that I've learned, I'm trying to to show them. And so basically, I'm taking clients on a retainer and they tell me where they need help and, and then I just help them along the way. And then also with their Pinterest accounts and with scheduling and how they can make use of those tools in a better way. I also help them with scheduling with Edgar. And yeah, that's what I've done. I realized that I needed to take the skills that I've learned. And if I wanted to make 
money from my blog, I needed to use that in some way. And I knew sponsored posts wouldn't be the option for me now where I am currently based in Spain. So I needed to, and affiliate marketing has been, there has been months that I've made money with it and other months not so much. So I knew I needed to find a, a new revenue of income. And in the last couple of months, it's been working for me. And especially the last month, I can really see that side of my business growing. Awesome. I know when we chatted via email, Jolene, you were mentioning that you've decided about a year ago to learn more about photography and really just take things to the next level on your on your blog. Can you tell us more about that that decision and, and how that's impacted things for you? Okay, well, let me start saying that just over a year ago, I didn't even know that you could make money blogging. I didn't know anything about monetizing my site, nothing. So basically, a friend of mine asked me if I knew Amy Porterfield, and I said, no, I don't. And he said, oh, uh, she's really good in Facebook, um, because he knew that I wanted to grow my Facebook page. And he said to me, why don't you go check up on her? And I did. And that's from there on that I started learning about blogging and how it works. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind. At that stage, I was blogging for three years already, and I knew nothing of these things. So... That's when I decided to move from Blogger to WordPress and set up my own domain. That was a nightmare because I have no technical skills. I have no technical ability. Seriously, I remember in high school when you do, when I did the aptitude test, afterwards they said to me, please don't ever go into a technical field, just to give you an idea. <laughs> I needed to move my, my site and I did it and somehow I messed up the permalinks. And I went down from within a week from 20,000 page views to 1,000 page views per month. And it was, it was terrible. And then at the same time, during this period of time, I think it was one week later, my site was hijacked. This is all my new, the new WordPress site. And all my visitors, the few that I had was redirected to a pornographic site. Oh no. And Alexa blacklisted me. Oh, no. It was terrible. It was terrible. And at that stage, I just started with this new way of thinking that blogging could be something I was ready to give up. I was ready to give up. I said to my husband, this is too hard. Uh, But not realizing that that was only the beginning because in my mind, I've been blogging for three years already, thinking that that was, you know, this is now the time that I tried and it's not working. But only then I started realizing that that was only the beginning. I knew nothing. And then because of that happening, it was the worst time for me, but it was also the best time for me because then I realized that that's when these doors started opening and I started learning things and about WordPress and how to use WordPress and all the social media platforms and everything to do about blogging. And that's really when things started happening for me. And at the same time, I looked at other food bloggers and I realized I needed to better my uh, food photography. At that stage, I was still using a normal digital camera. And I thought it was fine, but then when I started comparing myself to these amazing food bloggers, I thought, you don't stand a, you, you don't stand a chance. So, yes, that's basically from that point on what happened and why I made that decision. So you realized you really needed to up your photography game and you just were using a regular camera. Did you then switch out cameras and get something different so that you could really start to improve that photography? Yes. Um, I needed to convince my husband initially because 
he didn't really believe that this online business thing could be a business. So I I knew that I needed to get a, a good DSLR camera, and I did some investigating, and then I decided on the Canon EOS 600D, which I think is called in America the T3i Rebel. I've definitely heard of that camera before. I've heard a lot of bloggers mention that as a good one to use. I have it on my list. Maybe for Christmas next year, <laughs> we'll be getting something like that. But it took a while to convince my husband. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's where I'm at too. So once you decided to up your photography game, so to speak, where did you turn to for information to improve your photos? Many sources, but basically, initially in the blogging world, I didn't learn so much about photography, but I learned a lot about other things that led me to sources that helped me with photography. But for example, that um, in terms of the sources that help resources that helped me a lot is the Tasty Food Photography book of a lady called Lindsay Ostrom of Finch of Yum, a very famous food blog. Her husband runs the Food Blogger Pro podcast, Bjork, Bjork Ostrom. Yes, I've heard of them. Yes, and I have heard. They are amazing at food photography. So, yes, that's awesome that you found their guide to be really helpful. A lot, a lot. And then also the Food Blogger Central, Nadi, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I feel bad to say this, but I really don't know how to pronounce her name. But I think it's Naji. She has a blog called Food Blogger Central. And there's amazing information on there about photography and food blogging. And she also has a Facebook group. So, uh, and her book, the, what is her book called? The Food Photography, I've got it somewhere here. Uh, the Food Photography Book. And her, her site is Recipe Pin East. In terms of food blogging, those are the ones that really helped me. And then recently I bought the Spice Train Food Photography Behind the Scenes book from Nicole Brannan. That's how to learn how to shoot dark photos, which has become quite a thing in the food blogging world. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes, that is definitely a trend. The dark backgrounds, and it's kind yeah. of like, I don't know if sensual is the right word, but it's like has this seductive feel to the photos. And when they get it right, it really is beautiful. So I bought a book. I haven't even started, uh, you know, I haven't really implemented, but I am reading her book to see, you know, if I need any extra equipment or anything new and to see if I can go. I'm not sure if I want to take my, my blog completely into that direction, but I like to learn new things and experience, you know, new things in terms of photography. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. So, Jolene, I am a complete novice when it comes to photography, but then especially food photography, which is its own beast, I'm sure. So what are some key ingredients, we'll call them, (laughs) for awesome food photos? What are some of the things that people need to be thinking about when they're taking food photographs for their blog? The, The first thing is you don't want too much light in food photography. Because you need depth, you know, you need to create shadows. And if you have too much light in your photos, it makes your photo look washed out. So direct sunlight is a no-no. And shadows are great because they can create real depth into your photo. It's really, when you work with shadows and you have the correct lighting, it can really be beautiful. And using directional lighting, meaning that your food is mainly lit from one direction, it makes the colors pop too. Backlighting and side backlights. I would say are the most flattering angles for most food because it enhances the texture of the food. 
And then sometimes when I don't have enough light, this is going to be quite funny, I will use a reflector to bounce light back onto my feet. So maybe one side of my photo doesn't have enough, enough light. So I have a white dustbin lid that I bought at Ikea. I don't know if you know what I mean. It's like a circle one with a handle. Mm-hmm. I use this for my reflection because it's great because I can hold it in the one hand and then my camera is set up on a tripod on the other side and I have a Canon remote as well. And then I just click with the other hand and I take the photo. And this was perfectly for me. So you don't need to buy a reflector. You can get clever. You can use white cardboard or uh, white cardboard paper or anything to to help you with reflection. Very interesting. So, Jolene, are you, in terms of the backlighting, are you talking about, let's say, setting your food in front of a window that's getting some sunlight, and then from there you use your reflector as well? Exactly. So what you want to do is make sure that when you set it up, that your food, the window is behind your food, and you don't want direct sunlight. So you want it to be light, but you don't want the sun to shine directly into the window. So if you need to, you can use a diffuser. And what many bloggers do, they buy very light curtains and they use that as well. But what I normally do is we have a very big window. So what I do is I wait for certain times of the day when it's still light, but the sun isn't, you know, directly shining through the window. So maybe more late in the afternoon. But it depends on the season because, you know, in the summer, the, the sun is sharper, more hours in the day than in the winter. So it just depends on the season. But yes, you're right, basically the backlight. But also side backlight, where you would move your your table slightly and you would have light from the back and the side. So I would say northeastern. So it depends on your house and where, where the sun sets and rises. So you need to experiment with the different windows in your house. And that's what I do. Many times if I don't get a good shot and I've tried various angles and it's not working, I would move to another place in my house and try again. And many times it works for me. Okay, so it sounds like a ton of experimentation to find the right, not only the right location in your home to shoot your photography, but also the right time of day to shoot your photographs. So with all of this experimentation, do you kind of, have a setup in a certain room that at a certain time of day you know you need to head there or are you you know you have like your go-to spots that you know will work the best for you in your home I do I have my go-to spots and I wish I could say that I'm organized to say that this time of the day I need to have my recipe ready but unfortunately it doesn't work like that so depending on how my week goes and with the children what's happening so I need to work around that so Normally, I would shoot in my lounge because it has a nice big window, but there are times, for example, in the winter where I don't have enough light that I need to move to the other side of the house. I prefer to shoot in only one room because I'm used to the space there and everything set up, and it can be quite a mission to move everything, but if you want to get the right shot, you, you have to put the effort in, and that's part of it. So, Jolene, can you talk to us a little bit about the rule of thirds and what that means for you when you're setting up a food photo? Okay, so basically the rules of thirds is when you divide your photo into thirds or nine equal sections. So imagine drawing two lines vertically from the top to the bottom and then two lines horizontally. Photographers generally will place their focal points near the four intersecting lines, so the four dots in the middle where those lines cross over. 
or at least one of the four intersecting lines. So your aim is to ensure that whoever is looking at the photo has a clear focus on the main subject in the photo. And yes, so when I apply it in food photography, basically what you want to do is place your your dish in the middle of the the frame and then make sure that you have equal spaces on each side. But that's that's not always it doesn't work all the time. So depending what the elements are that you're going to use in the frame or what the dish is. But mainly that is what you're going to look at. And then you're going to use the negative spaces that are empty around your main dish and you're going to fill that with elements. And normally what I will do, for example, if I have a chocolate chip muffin, I would use some chocolate chips in those negative spaces. But the idea is that the aim and focus is on the main dish and not on the elements. The elements should only enhance the, the main focal point. I'm not, not, not sure if I'm making sense. That, that definitely makes sense, Jolene, and I like how you phrased it, that you know, the main dish is the main focus, but those props can fill in the blank space to kind of, like you said, enhance the main focus. Exactly. Somewhere, somewhere I can't remember where I read it, food blogger said it's like breadcrumbs leading to the loaf of bread. So you know what's going to come when you see the breadcrumbs, but you want to see that bread. You're not interested in seeing the crumbs. Okay, that's interesting. I like that. Oh, and I want to point out, I see one example on Jolene's blog right now, which maybe we can have this in our show notes. But So it's like a chocolate chip bun cake, and you're using the rule of thirds, you know, but a little bit differently because this time it's in the, like the bottom right corner is the bun cake, so it's like in the bottom third. But then you have little chocolate chips that kind of lead right up to the bun cake and they're kind of blurred out in the background but like you said it's like the little breadcrumbs leading right up to the main thing yeah and then you know what you're expecting and if you if you see the chocolate chips and you like chocolate chips then you're excited to see what the main focal point is going to be in the photograph and i think it applies to any photography not just food photography so in my kitchen if i was tempted to take a picture of food. I would just like put food on a table and my camera would be pointed down at the food. But I am guessing that that is not how your setup is. Do is it your do you have your food elevated and with your tripod kind of more head on with the food or what is the best angle I guess is what I'm trying to get at since I don't know. <laughs> no, no, what you're saying is I've heard that food photography People that look at food photography are most drawn to photos taken from the top. But funny enough, this is an angle that I personally don't like shooting. So I hardly ever, you'll see in my blog, there is hardly ever any photos directly from the top. But apparently people like seeing that. But in that way, I would say I'm a rebel because I prefer shooting slightly above the food or directly in front of the food. And I like close-up shots as well, but I've learned through the time that too close is not good because you need to step away from the food. I heard another food blogger say you need to allow the food to breathe. So, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. And sometimes what I would do in a shoot, I would try to take photos of different angles so that when I post those photos in my blog post, people can see it from different angles. That makes sense. And Jolene, your photos are beautiful. So I think it's fabulous that you've said, no, I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going to do what works for me. And I, I think it, it's totally working. <laughs> the rebel with a cause. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. So Jolene, can you give us maybe some tips on using a manual camera? Because I, I feel like, let's say I would buy that camera you recommended today. I would have no idea where to start. Do you have some tips on what settings and, and different things work the best? In, initially, I started with automatic because I didn't know how it worked. But then the problem I had is then when the lighting wasn't right, I nothing I did worked. But with manual settings, even if your lighting is not 100%, you are still able to change those settings that you can get a photo that you are then able to upload and even make better in, in Lightroom. That's the editing program that I use. Basically, you have, when you buy a camera, that's something maybe I should have mentioned before. It's not so important the body of the camera you use. It's more important the lens that you use for your camera. Because that's exactly, that's actually where you're going to get the, the best back for your money, if I can say that. Because a lens makes all the difference. There are many out there, uh, and some really pricey. I started out with the 5518, which came with the Canon camera. It's a zoom lens. But a zoom lens is not as good as a prime lens, especially for food photography, because your photos with a prime lens is so much sharper. And if I say prime lens, it just means that if it's a prime lens, it's a fixed lens, you need to physically move away and closer to the photo to get the shot you want. You would think that a zoom lens would be better, but in food photography, definitely not. So then I moved to a fixed lens, which is the prime lens, to the 50mm 1.8. I wanted the 50mm 1.4, but it was a little bit out of my budget. I think the 1.8 is about a third of the price of the 1.4. And so I bought that one. And 50, the 50 is just the, the focal distance, the, the space that you need to move uh, away or into the frame so that everything's into the frame. And the 1.4, the 1.8 is the f-stop, the aperture. I'm not sure okay. if you know about that. Yes, yeah, so the aperture, is that meaning how long light is allowed to enter that photo? Exactly. And the aperture is also where you create depth of field. If you want, you know, if you've seen blurry photos in the back and then the focus is on the main object in the photo, then they've used a low f-stop. And that f-stop is the aperture and that, in the case of what I told you about the, 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 the lens, the, the 51.8. So my lowest f-stop is 1.8. So I'm assuming with the manual camera, if you're, if you're changing settings and changing the aperture, so changing the amount of light that comes into the, the photograph, into the camera. Is the tripod pretty much a necessity to get that that perfect shot? Like, you're not able to do great photography if you're just holding it in your hand. Is that right? It can be right. It can be right. If you really want to use your manual settings to get the best, best manuals to get the best for your manual settings. I don't really know how to state this. A tripod is important. Up to a couple of months ago, I didn't use a tripod at all. I only used a tripod in video. I didn't like using a tripod because my tripod is quite bulky and it takes up a lot of space and I can't move around. But when I started using the tether method or the tether mode, I'm not sure if you know what that is, where you basically link your camera to your computer. So while you're shooting, for example, my computer is linked up to my camera which is on a tripod and 
it's set up in Lightroom. Lightroom has a built-in feature for tethering. And what it allows me to do is while I take the photo on my camera, I can immediately see it on my computer screen. Now, in the past, I would look at the photo on my small screen. Um, the camera that I have has a flip-out screen, and it would look fine to me, but then afterwards, when I put everything away and I upload it to my computer, I realize that it's overexposed or this it's too dark or whatever the reason. Now, if it's too dark, you can still do something about it, but if it's which is underexposed, but if it's overexposed, there's nothing you can do with it, even in Lightroom. So, yes, when you shoot in tether mode, a tripod is important because you don't want to go back after checking it on your computer screen, go back and try to replicate the same scene. So you've got everything set up. So if you realize that you need to, to change a few settings on your camera or move a few crumbs or whatever you need to do, it's fine because everything is still as it was before you moved over to your computer to see it on your screen. I hope I'm making sense. Yes, definitely. And we had... Kim from Lucy Jane Totes, she talked about that as well on the podcast about the tethering and using an iPad and, or sorry, using a remote and using Lightroom so that she could do exactly what you're saying. Make sure she saw all of her photos on her big computer screen to make sure everything was set up the right way. Exactly. And that minimizes your time of a photo shoot. Because in the past, I would take a shoot over and a shot over and over, not knowing if it's okay. But if you see it on the big screen and you're happy with it, then you move on to the next shot and then, you know, you complete the shoot much quicker. Yeah, I was going to say that method sounds like it would save an enormous amount of time in addition to you being able to really get that quality shot that you're looking for to post on your blog. So it sounds like a huge benefit to take the time to figure out how to set up all of those components and have them working together for you when you do a photo shoot. Exactly, exactly. How often do you have to do a photo shoot? Do you have like a big baking day and then a big photo shoot session afterwards? Or is it just several times a week when you bake, you do the photography right afterwards? It depends how well I plan. Because, for example, in before the school holidays, I knew that I was going to have less time on my hands. So what I did is I planned some recipes and something that I knew that would keep or that I could freeze, that I could just frost. And I needed to plan a few recipes. And then I would bake a few recipes on the same day. And then the next morning, I would decorate it and get my props ready. And then I would take the photos for the whole day. And that takes a whole day. Um, one day of making the recipes and one day of shooting. And then you still have to, the next day, edit and write your blog post, etc. Food photography and blogging sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. When I tell people I blog, especially here in Spain, because it's, it's not really a big thing here, the people say, oh, and what else do you do? <laughs> and you're like it takes all my time <laughs> and they're like really isn't that just your hobby <laughs> oh my goodness too funny well speaking of food blogging like is there something about food blogging besides the fact that you've got to you know do the photography within a reasonable amount of time because otherwise I'm sure the older the food gets the worse it probably looks <laughs> so you can't like wait a week to to do the photography for the cookies you just baked. But is there any other unique element of, of food blogging that maybe people don't realize when they 
think about starting a food blog? I don't know so much in terms of savory dishes because I haven't experimented a lot with that because I'm a dessert blogger. But I've heard other food bloggers saying, for example, you know those shots where you see where it's like the, the stringy cheese? Apparently it's really difficult to capture that because the cheese sets really quickly. So I know, for example, I've made cupcakes before where I want the frosting to look nice and moist, but maybe I made the cupcakes the night before. I frosted it, put it in the fridge, and then the next day it doesn't look the same as when I made it before. So I use a torch. You know the torch you you would use for to make creme brulee when you caramelize the top? Well, I've got mm-hmm. those, and many times I would use that just to make the frosting or maybe the caramel syrup look better, you know? Interesting. But I know many food bloggers, for example, with cheese is one of the struggles they have because you need to capture that shot immediately when it comes out of the oven because otherwise it just doesn't look the same. Huh. So cheese is tricky to photograph. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Good to know. And, and anything that's white, any ingredient that's white, is very difficult to photograph as well because it looks really flat. There's not enough definition. Oh, okay. So does that make you want to shy away from white frosting or you've just learned to adapt with something that's white in the food? I don't like it, but what I try to do is maybe add elements. For example, when you frost the cupcake, you can add edible silver balls or you can do something with it or you can add in a cupcake top or something like that. But just the white frosting is a nightmare to shoot because it looks really flat on the photo. It doesn't look nice. There's not enough depth in the photo. Hmm. I never would have thought about that Yeah. or known about that at all. Yeah. In photography, when you start out, you think, how hard can it be? But then the more you get into it and the more you learn, the more difficult it becomes because the more you realize how little you knew and how much you need to learn. <laughs> it really is the truth because that's how it happened for me. In the beginning when I had my digital camera, I was just taking photos away and I wasn't always happy with it, but it wasn't such a big deal for me. But the more I learned about it and the more I got involved in it, I realized this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work, but it's, it's a passion of mine. It's become a passion. I didn't know that that would be the part of the blog that I would enjoy so much, but I really do enjoy it. Well, it clearly shows because... Your photos are gorgeous, and they make my mouth water just looking at them. <laughs> well, that's great, because that's exactly what I want. When I when I take those photos, that's exactly what I want. That's the result. That's what, you know, the feeling that I want to evoke in someone else. So, Jolene, we have really enjoyed talking with you today about your food blog, Flavors and Frosting, and we have certainly learned some things about photography, especially food photography, that we did not know before. But as we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests if they could share with us a funny or adorable mom moment. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought about this when I even asked my daughter and my husband and said, what happened recently that was funny? Because I don't know about you guys, I'm one of those people that when they tell the joke, I can never remember it. So I to wrap my brain because every day something happens in this house because this is a crazy household. Imagine a household where they speak three languages. Sometimes people don't understand each other. It really can be confusing. But, but one thing that stuck in my mind is my son, Luca, uh, which is five now, he's losing his teeth. So here in Spain, when you lose a tooth, ratoncito Perez, which is the tooth mouse, which we also have in South Africa, but I know that in America, I think you guys have the tooth fairies. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So he comes and he gives you money. So we explained to Luca, because his tooth was loose, that if the tooth falls out, this is what's going to happen. The Raton Superpedis is going to come and he's going to give you money. So the next day, Tegan and Luca, sometimes Tegan picks up Luca from school and they walk home together. And on this day, next to the road, they saw a dead mouse. So he gets home and he tells me the story. And I say to him, and I, up till now, I'm not sure why I would say that. I said, I hope that was not Raton Superpedis. <laughs> you are a cruel mom. How can you say something? <laughs> and he said to me, Raton Superpedis is like Jesus. He never dies. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's so cute. It's so cute. Uh, there's such special moments because my son has a, when he speaks English, he also has a, a Spanish accent and it's just, there's so many funny things that happen that uh, it's just, it's so cute. <laughs> I love that story. That's fantastic. <laughs> but I had no idea. See, I love learning new things about different cultures and countries. I had no idea that, okay, that first of all, the tooth fairy or a version of that is in other countries. And secondly, that it's a little mouse. I think that's super cute that it's a little mouse in Spain that comes and collects your teeth. Yeah, Spain, they've got quite a few traditions that are different. For example, Spain, they celebrate Christmas, but generally the families don't exchange gifts on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve like we used to. What they do is they celebrate Christmas, but they don't even really know much about uh, Santa Claus. So because of movies and stuff that kids now do generally get maybe one gift on Christmas Day, from Santa Claus, but then on the 6th of January, it's Three Kings Day. This is the day they believe that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, and this is when they exchange gifts. And so the three wise men on the 5th of January would go through the streets on camels, real camels, dressed up as the three wise men. The kids will give their little letters to the, the wise men, and then the next day, when they wake up at their shoes, there will be their presents. Wow. Yeah, so that, I know completely different than other countries. I think it's only Spain and Portugal that does that. Okay, that's really that's really neat too. Yeah. So uh, Three Kings Day. Three Kings Day, you're on the 6th of Jan. Okay, that's interesting. That's Yeah, I just love hearing about it. A lot of countries, it seems, they we all have like similar ideas or similar holidays and things like that. But the way that they are celebrated or the traditions that go along with them or kind of the folklore, too, that goes along with them can vary so much that it's really interesting to hear about all of those neat differences. For sure. And they have a lot of traditions, yeah. You know, a lot of festivals, a lot of romerias, which is the village parties because they, you know, um, Spain is mainly Catholic, so they have many festivals, the Catholic festivals. It's completely different, definitely completely different. Fun, very fun. Jolene, could you tell all of the listeners one more time where they can find your wonderful food blog online? Okay, so it's at flavorsandfrosting.com and flavors is spelled the British way, how we spell it in South Africa, so it's with the O-U. And then I'm also on Twitter. But all my links for my social media platforms is, is on the top right of my blog. And then I also have a YouTube channel, which I started about six months ago. That's all a work in progress as well. So that's that. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jolene. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your show. For the show notes, head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash BBM135. Are you a podcast listener, but you're not on our email list? Head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash email list to sign up. Email subscribers get access to our super secret freebies page, which contains lots of printables and other resources to help you grow your business. So sign up now. I hope you're having a great day. Now it's your turn to head out there and be brilliant.